I'm Seth Bridgman, host of From the Ground Up podcast, a podcast where we discuss key doctrines of the Christian faith, building them upon the true cornerstone, which is Christ Jesus. Welcome to Season 2 of From the Ground Up podcast. From the Ground Up podcast, all four of us are back again for another episode. How are we doing, gentlemen? Doing well. Full of pizza and sweet tea. And some coffee. Yeah, coffee. I know coffee is what me. I'm working on right now. So. Yep, Dylan is among the weak. He can't drink coffee at night. Mm-mm-mm. I've drank like five cups of coffee today, so I better dial it okay. back. All right. I mean, rookie numbers. <laughs> uh, should be five pots. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, you should be drinking seven pots, son, back in my day. <laughs> So, um, today's topic is biblical inerrancy. Um, so it should be a really, really good discussion. Uh, but first, we'll have a icebreaker question. I don't have a game planned out for this one since we did the game last time. Uh, and this question is a pretty like dumb question. Like it's not biblical in any way, but I think it'll get some uh, juices flowing in our brains so if you had to be always like you know thinking of the juices in my brains you know something i think about all the time i don't like thinking about that (laughs) i mean it's what your brain is mostly made up of so uh there's an episode of brooklyn 99 i could go into but we won't yeah don't do that (laughs) let's not do that um if you were lost in the jungle with any historical figure who would it be Theodore Roosevelt. Ah, oh, you stole mine. Man. I had to jump in there fast. Golly, that, that was a uh, really good one. That was mine. <laughs> ah, you snooze, you lose on I, that one. I got one for y'all, and you're going to have to learn about the guy on the Bear Grease podcast. He was the guy that actually guided Teddy Roosevelt on his first bear hunt. His name was Holt Collier. I believe that was his name. Holt Collier. He's from Mississippi. He was a man among men. Hmm. I'm um, taking him. I'll go with Les Stroud. That's a good one. That's a good one. Survivor Man himself. Yeah, that's a good one. So not Bear Grylls? No, not Bear Grylls. Definitely not Bear Grylls. I'll pick a any day for Bear Grylls. Bear Grylls would make up an excuse to drink your pee. I was about to say, yeah, any excuse (laughs) that man can drink his own pee, he will do it. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) The hot water's taking too long at the hotel. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Uh, Man. All right, I've got two. And one of them is local. Uh, local? Yeah. Dang. Uh, so, one, if I have to not get Teddy Roosevelt, Mason, <laughs> uh, uh, Daniel Boone. I could change mine to Sir David Livingston if you if you prefer. Nah, you Dr. Keep... Livingston, I presume. Uh, I, will, uh, I will take Daniel Boone or Dickie Bennett. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, I, you know, the man went back to Vietnam to find his brother. And I got to give it to him. He's a pretty resourceful man. Now, he's getting pretty old. Uh, more wisdom. More wisdom? Oh, okay. I mean, Theodore Roosevelt. I, I haven't checked recently, but I'm pretty sure he's dead. So, you know, you could go back in time and take a younger is that a version. fact? Yeah. 
I guess, I mean, yeah, it's a, it's if you could find, jack. you know, the museum that Nine at the Museum took place, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. you could just come back to the <laughs> But you have to bring Ben Stiller with you. Uh, <laughs> no deal. What, what, uh, what you about can, Owen Wilson? Owen Wilson, yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, All right, well, before we get... Any further off track. Uh, biblical inerrancy. Uh, so, who do we... Cody, did you start? Um, did. I think so, did. yeah. yeah I did, did do that. Man, you, we jumped into this so fast, I'm still recuperating from that. <laughs> <laughs> I, had to, I had to bring us back to the track before we completely derailed. <laughs> Mason, what's biblical inerrancy? Uh, biblical inerrancy is the doctrine that uh, Orthodox Christianity has believed um, ever since its foundation that the Bible is the inspired word of God and being that... It is completely inerrant, which means it is free from fault. Um, it is theopneus, breathed out by God. Um, it's inspired, and it is the perfect rule for life and practice for the Christian. Um, it holds the ultimate authority. It is um, perfectly sufficient for every need of, of life. Um, and it is um, non, um, it, does, it does not contain any errors or... Um, contradictions. Well, it's hard to follow. Might as well just move on to the next. Uh, (laughs) Well, I have the definition of inerrant and inerrancy. The definition literally means lack of error. So when we talk about biblical inerrancy, we're talking about the Bible having no errors. It lacks any errors in the Bible. So there you go. Yeah, I mean, uh, mine is just in less words. I just said it, it does not affirm anything contrary to fact. So, I mean. Okay, that's, yeah. that's a okay. good way of putting it. Yeah. Yep. Huh. Uh, I think I got mine out of Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. It's the Bible is without error or fault in any part or any degree. Hmm. So. Good. I think we all came to the same definition there. Yeah, if we did, now, then you, we would have had... This would be a much longer... Just, yeah, this yeah, would be a lot longer conversation. I don't know if we're going to... Never mind. We're going to... I'm not going to say that because we're going to get to it at the later on. Don't jump ahead. I uh, about jumped ahead. We have show notes for a reason. <laughs> Dylan, what's the difference between inerrancy and infallibility? Okay, so we have the definition of inerrant, which is lack of error. Infallibility means the inability of being wrong so the bible with it being god breathed has it cannot be wrong it has the inability of being wrong because it is god's word yeah i think traditionally those kind of and and to some extent are still interchangeable in a way because they both mean it doesn't have any error right but i think um more recently um it's they've been kind of separated into two different things where like infallibility means it's only infallible or it's only well how did i put this um perfect in theology but not all matters like science and history whereas inerrancy would mean not only is it perfect in theology but it's also 100 percent accurate in history and in science as well Mm -hmm. not just for living a you know a God honoring life, but also it's historically accurate. You know, accurate, accurate. And if I can pronounce words, that helps. So go, go for it. So here we go. First reference. So according to R.C. Sproul, <laughs> oh, <gosh. laughs> 
Hey, I need to keep a tally. Yeah, or, um, you can keep a running a running list. Yeah, of how just many so times everybody knows, back. we are historical Baptists. Just so we're clear. But um, so what was the what was no babies? Oh, uh, what was the document <laughs> that was sent? No that was oh, yeah. sent to us by the one head of the podcast. I believe it was the. Chicago statement on, oh, yeah, on biblical, biblical inerrancy, inerrancy. <laughs> yes. the president of which was <clears throat> R.C. Sproul. Hey, I'm just saying. Okay, hold on. It wasn't only Presbyterians. No, no, no. It was – It was a, no, there was – I believe John MacArthur was there along with I his father. Muller um, was there. Yeah, Elmer. Uh, J.I. Yeah. Packer. It was, it was a who's who. Well, Packer's Anglican or was Anglican. Well, I'm just saying he's – you know. <laughs> but For the anyway. entirety of his life. Yeah. <laughs> president R.C. Sproul. <clears throat> Go ahead and mark that as three, <laughs> and you can go ahead and go with four. So, uh, according to Sproul, uh, because he was, I mean, he, he dealt with this, not just him, but anyone that lived through, I believe the rise of higher criticism came in the, between like the 60s and 70s, um, where the attack on biblical inerrancy mm, was really yes. at a fever pitch. Um, and so that's what spawned this, um, the Chicago statement and the Chicago um, summit on biblical inerrancy was as a response to all of this criticism, basically saying that the word of God couldn't be trusted. And, and in, in some of his teachings, Sproul basically said that to be an errant means that it, it cannot or it has not erred. To be infallible means it cannot err. And it, it, not just in past tense, but it's actually a higher standard. Hmm. To be infallible means it cannot fail. Ever, we as individuals, in very limited senses, can be inerrant. Say we have a test and we score a hundred. You know, we were inerrant on that test. We answered all the, the, the questions mm-hmm. correctly. But in order for us to be infallible, we would then have to proceed to be Continue continuously to. perfect sure. from that moment going forward, which we all obviously would That's fail. That's a good point of view that, that I never very good. thought so, of. So, and during this controversy, um, people. Tried to stay away from inerrant because I saw it as this historic and 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 this thing loaded with extra um, baggage, and so they would go to, oh, we don't believe it's inerrant, we believe it's infallible. Whereas Sproul argued, well, so you really think highly of the Bible yeah. if you believe it's infallible, because not only do you believe it hasn't erred, but you believe it will never err. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was that was his. Uh, I'm basically parroting what he said on that, and I, I believe it's true. Yeah, so used to, <clears throat> you could interchange inerrancy and infallibility, and people understood what you meant. And then, yeah, like you said, the 60s is really when it started coming around, mainly in the seminaries where they were mm-hmm. teaching, you yeah. know, like Cody said, you know, it can be wrong on science and history and stuff like that, but the morals and the teachings, uh, they're they're perfect. They're infallible. Uh, there's There's no... <clears throat> Uh, fallibility in them, but the other stuff, you know, is kind of shaky. Well, you know, the more and more you teach that, the more you can pull out and say, well, you know, this isn't this isn't right. It's still infallible, but this, and you know, you can start cutting away mm-hmm. things, um, especially like you know, that was when the big pushes came through the schools for evolution and things like that. So, mm-hmm. I mean, the Bible can still be infallible, and you know. As long as it's not inerrant, then you know evolution and things like that can come around. So that's when the the Chicago statement of biblical inerrancy came around. It's like, no, we're not only saying it's in, we're saying it's infallible. Yes, 
but we're not only saying it's infallible. We're saying it's inerrant. So inerrancy uh, charges every aspect of the Bible to be true. Mm-hmm. Uh, infallibility just charges that its teachings and its morals are true. Right. And so that's the big difference. Um, you hmm. know, if we're going to say that God is true all the time, and we're going to say that all of the Bible is God's word, then we have to say every aspect. All the numbers of war, um, all the days that they were in exile, all these things, they can't be false in any sense of of the word. Otherwise, it's not God's word if God is always right and always true. Hmm. So that's, you know, that's kind of where we're at on the difference between inerrancy and infallibility, which is kind of, it's aggravating because, you know, I would say like 1900s, like early, early 1900s, if you said infallible, when people heard that, they heard the same thing as if you were to say inerrant. Mm-hmm. Now you say infallible, and that throws up a lot of red flags of, okay, now we've mm-hmm. got to figure out really where you are on all of this? Or do you really truly believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God, or do you just think it's a good book that's that's good for right. your morals? Hmm. Real quick. I mean, and, and this is going to happen a lot because, you know, the Chicago statement of, of biblical inerrancy, like I said, was um, from this time period. Um, and there was a fun side note a story that, that Sproul told um, that uh, – that when they were they were trying to come up with the name of it, he they went back and forth on the word inerrancy in the actual title, and um, it was actually J.I. Packard that convinced Sproul to keep it in there because he was thinking about maybe going with infallibility, not because he believed it was anything that the Bible was less, but because inerrant had so much baggage in it. But Packard convinced him to keep inerrancy because it would serve as a shibboleth, as basically as a word that if somebody would own up to the word with all of its baggage and still say, yes, I believe the Bible is inerrant, then they would actually believe it and stand for it. Whereas if they had a different name, infallible or whatever they wanted to call it, a word that didn't have so much connotation and context, people would say, oh, yeah, I believe that, and not actually believe what it meant. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Uh, And so that's why it actually kept inerrant in the title. Interesting. Fun fact. Got the short statement here from the beginning of the statement. It's five points. Point one God, who is Himself truth and speaks truth only, has inspired Holy Scripture in order thereby to reveal Himself to lost mankind through Jesus Christ as Creator and Lord, Redeemer and Judge. Holy Scripture is God's witness to Himself. Point two Holy Scripture being God's own word, written by men, prepared and superintended by His Spirit is of infallible divine authority in all matters upon which it touches. It is to be believed as God's instruction in all that it affirms, obeyed as God's command in all that it requires, embraced as God's pledge in all that it promises. Point three, the Holy Spirit, Scripture's divine author, both authenticates it to us by his inward witness and opens our mind to understand its meaning. Point four, being holy and verbally God-given, Scripture is without error or fault in all of its teachings, no less in what it states about God's acts and creation, about the events of the world history, and about its own literary origins under God, that in its witness to God's saving grace in individual lives. And then point five, the authority of Scripture is inescapably impaired if this total divine inerrancy is in any way limited or disregarded 
or made relative to a view of truth contrary to the Bible's own. And such lapses bring serious loss to both the individual and the church. So, I mean, those five points kind of summarize all the articles within the, mm-hmm. the statement, but uh, I would say we agree with all of that, correct? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, sure. I want to make this point, too. If you don't believe that the Bible is inerrant, right, then you, when it talks about something that happened in history and you go to a history book to find out what really happened, if you don't believe that that could have actually happened or it may not be accurate there, then what have you just done? You've placed that book as more important mm-hmm. than the Bible. More trustworthy. More trustworthy yeah. than the Bible. And if you've done that, then, I mean, like Dylan mentioned in our last episode, it starts this downhill spiral that you'll you never, unless you change your viewpoint, you're never going to come out of. You're just going to keep yeah. going down. Yeah. Um, if you look at it and, you know, you say that the that the Bible Bible does have errors in it, the Bible itself attests that God is the author of the Bible. And so you saying that what God has written down has errors in it, then you would say that God has has erred, and that would mean that God is not God. Mm-hmm. And so therefore, if there's errors in this thing, then the logical conclusion is that there is there is no God, which we know that that's not true. We know that the Bible is... Inerrant. We know that it is without fault. It it, it lacks. Uh, it, there's no errors in it, and so we know that we know that because God breathed these pages out. So yeah, yeah. Um, I know one of the big historical arguments with the Bible uh, focuses around Moses and the Exodus, uh, because Egypt doesn't technically have any written historical accounts of the Israelite people, and of the exodus out of there. Uh, but as we know, history is written by the victor. Yep. Egypt came back around after that. Yep. And so, I mean, they didn't, I don't, not just Egypt, but ancient civilizations didn't write their horrible losses. They didn't no. keep up with that stuff. Mm-hmm. And they don't really want to mention the people that were, that was such a, I mean, literal plague upon them. <laughs> Literally a plague, yeah. I mean, the, God killed Pharaoh's entire army. Uh, yeah. And Pharaoh, mm-hmm. you know, whenever he, he, he killed them in the Red Sea. And so why would you write that down if you want your people to think you're the, you're the greatest nation ever? Right. Yeah. yeah. That's Good what point. makes the Bible so much more believable is that it's one of the only – Books that documents its heroes' failures. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. All right. Cody, does the Bible contradict itself? Short answer no. Um, Because. Long Long answer is well, if it did contradict itself, then it wouldn't be inerrant. And so then we wouldn't need to be having this conversation about biblical inerrancy. Good one. If the so if the Bible contains a contradiction, then it would contain a lie because one thing would have to be true, but the other thing would have to not be true because they if it's a contradiction, both can't be true. Um, and so if that's the case, then if one thing is a lie, then how do we determine what other things? Like how do we know which one is true? Then you know, and then what other things if there's something that's not truthful, fully truthful in there? Um, because we hit, we're going to start picking that apart, and mm-hmm. it's just become more untrustworthy and more untrustworthy. And so, 
I've got three scripture references that I'm going to mention here that the Bible uses um, to support itself in that it is true and trustworthy and doesn't contradict itself. Numbers 23, 19. God is not man that he should lie um, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Hebrews 6. This one's um, see here. So when God desired to show more um, convincingly the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which is it is possible for God to lie, we have um, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. So there's two two instances where it says God does not lie, and then Psalm nineteen seven, um, the law of the Lord is perfect. If it was perfect, then it's obviously it doesn't contradict itself, and it's fully true. Reviving the soul, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening, enlightening the eyes. And so that's just this you know, scripture supporting that own document. Because if we believe that the Bible is inerrant, it should be our final authority on everything. And so mm-hmm. we shouldn't look to other things to prove that. We, the Bible itself proving that, um, if, if we truly believe that, should be enough evidence. And obviously, like, you'll never find an actual contradiction, no matter how hard you look anyways, yeah. to try to prove that wrong. So. Hmm. I mean, you do have to you have to study carefully because um, some of the greatest minds in 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 church history have come across things that that seemingly were contradictions. Um, for a long time, Luther didn't support the Epistle of James being in the Bible because he thought it was an epistle of straw. He really had to work through how in the second chapter of James you could say you know faith without works is dead. Whenever Luther had come to the the correct knowledge that. Um, Salvation is by faith alone. Um, so how do you, uh, seemingly, if you just look at those at the face of it, those contradict each other, where James says, no, you have to work for it. Faith without works is dead. And, you know, in, in uh, Romans, you know, uh, it, it says something different. So uh, if you're just doing a cursory reading, you would say, well, right there is two mm-hmm. different gospels or two different ways to salvation. Well, if you study the Bible more, if you actually dig down deep into it, they don't. And, and Luther came to that realization later in his life. Um, so, so while there are, um, I guess you would call them paradoxes or things that seem can seem to not add up um, throughout Scripture, the the more you look into it, and the more the deeper you study, a lot of those will. <coughs> unravel themselves but again like cody said it's it's through deeper study it's not through trying to compare it to something else right although the more archaeologists dig the more the more uh findings they have that have backed biblical history um it's 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 pretty amazing some of the find, things that have been found in the last 20 to 40 years yeah there's a another example of of that like it's a um in the proverb no yeah proverbs i think it's i'm not quoting verbatim so um i think it's like don't rebuke a man in his foolishness and then there's another one that talks about rebuking a man in his foolishness so the, those seem to contradict each other but it in context they have to do with the situation you know right so yeah. it's like is it is it worth your time to rebuke that man or is it not? Um, it's kind of a, you have to assess the situation type thing. And so, yeah, and this, like, on surface level, that could look like a contradiction. If you just pull those verses straight out of context yeah. and just put them exactly. side by side, 
mm-hmm. then it seems like there's a contradiction when really there's not. Right. I take a more simplistic approach, which you guys are uh, are spot on. Um, I think that we have to look at the at the two definitions that we've talked about. You know, the definition of inerrancy and the definition of of infallibility, and ask ourselves: Does the Bible contradict itself? Well, if we believe that the Bible lacks any error, and if we believe that it has the inability to be wrong, it is infallible, then there's no room for contradiction within the Bible. And so if we base it off of the truths of it being lacking, you know, no errors, there are no errors in the Bible, um, and it, you know, having the inability to be wrong, then we can come to the logical conclusion that it doesn't contradict itself just based upon, you know, how logic works. Um, So... That's the approach. That's kind of the approach that I took. That's a lot more simplistic than our two preachers here. So, <laughs> well, but it needs to be said because in today's day and age, saying that having a contradiction means something is untrue is not necessarily accepted anymore. Because you know you have your truth and you have my truth, and so in a in a postmodern age, people don't necessarily see something that contradicts itself. I mean, just look mm. at any if you look at anything in. in in the study of Marx, uh, uh, Marxism, or anything like that, they're 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 inbuilt contradictions. Sure, and 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 that's fine. That's seen as oh, that's that's no problem. Consistency mm-hmm. is is not necessary. Mm-hmm. Well, that's yeah. false. Um, Did I say lacks no error earlier? I don't think that's the right. That's not right. <laughs> it the Bible has no errors. Has no errors. <laughs> It is completely so full are, of error. So you are I, saying that the Bible is inerrant. I'm saying the Bible is inerrant. I'm saying just that I am that. errant because <laughs> I just said something. Because you just erred. I just erred. 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 Anyway. Uh, so, yeah. So, Mason, you brought up the term paradox, um, which is a, is a really good term to know when it comes to this. Uh, and it's two true statements that seem contradictory. And so you gave the example of James 2. I have I had that. And then I've got the example of Exodus twenty twelve, which is in the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And then you flip over to Luke chapter 14 and verse 26. And Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children uh, and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And so, yeah, on their face, they look contradictory to each other. You can't honor your father and mother and then turn around and hate them. Uh, but if you, one, look in the context, <coughs> sorry, guys, look in the context of what's being said, and two, go back to the original language that wasn't English, you'll realize that when he says hate, he's saying put a lesser emphasis on mm-hmm. or place lesser in your priority list. And so yeah. what Jesus is saying, if you want to be my disciple, I've got to be the most important thing. He's not saying you can't love your your mom and your dad. You can't not honor your mom and your dad. We good? Okay. Um, he's saying that you have to put Jesus as the primary. He mm-hmm. has to be preeminent yeah. in everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so one of the great examples that I give to people of like if you want a fun exercise, go to I can't remember the exact name of the website off the top of my head, but it's the main website 
for atheists, especially mm. the national American atheists.org. Is that it? I don't know, but that sounds that sounds <laughs> it's the, it probably is it's the American Association of Atheists, yeah. is what it is. Oh, uh, and they have a, a tab for contradictions in the Bible. 60% of them, if you just put them all into the same version of the Bible, they go away. So they just take. You know, oh, different versions. They pull scriptures out yeah. of, mm. and they put them in different versions, yeah. so it makes yeah. them look. Uh, con- you know, you've got the message, and then they'll the the, contra- <laughs> the contradiction will yeah. be in King James. It's like, okay, we'll put them in the same version, and they don't contradict. And then the other forty percent that's left, uh, if you just take and go and read the chapter before and the chapter after, they go away. Oh yeah, they go away. Oh, that's kind of like what Cody mentioned in the previous episode of you know just opening up like. The book of you open up the middle of Joshua and you're like, holy cow, man! You know, go kill your neighbor. Like, are you kidding me? But you know, you have to read it from a from a you know a narrative. You have to you have to Correct. read it in context. Correct. So I mean, there's no hard contradictions in the Bible. No. Uh, I mean, if you take the time to understand where that section of scripture is, the circumstances behind it, who's writing it, the occasion that's being written for, what literary tools you're supposed to be using. Mm. There's no hard contradictions in the Bible. Uh, but a lot of people like to say that there are as an arguing point, and so they just pull out random scriptures and try to try to argue those. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> the Bible does not contradict itself. I think we all came to that conclusion. Yes, we did. Mm-hmm. Okay. We back around to you. Sure. No, I started the last one, did I not? Did you start the last? one? <laughs> I think he started Thanks. all three of them. <laughs> I started How, one of them. Oh, you, you started one of them. We're back around yeah. to you. Yeah. How can errant people write the inerrant word of God? Uh, well, in order to fully deal with that, you need to check out our episode on inspiration. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yes. Shameless plug. It is. Yeah, it is a shameless plug. <laughs> we use that as a trailer. Yeah, I think so. Um, but seriously, I mean, that is that is the only way that errant people, um, you can ask any of us individually, we don't think that anyone other than Jesus in the Bible was perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, it like, I can't remember one of us said it, it may have been before the episode, talking about how the Bible seems more true because it shows the heroes of the Bible at their highest and lowest points. There are no perfect... Um, heroes in the Bible except Jesus. Um, so with all of these errant people, all of these fallible people, the only way that we can have an inerrant word is if they were um, if they were acted upon by God himself through his Holy Spirit. Um, and mm-hmm. and that's, I mean, Paul said it. It's, it's theopneus. It's God breathed out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. I'll just let I'll just let Scripture do the talking here for uh, on on my portion. Second Peter, uh, I'll start in uh, chapter one, verse. Let's eh, start in twenty. Really, sixteen through twenty-one is very good, but we'll start in twenty. It says, "Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God." as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Well, what does this mean? What this essentially means is, is that God spoke through individuals and individuals penned these 66 books. These are God-breathed words, as it said in 2 Timothy 3.16. These are God's words. These are not the words of man. Yeah, I mean, 
man is merely the instrument in which God wrote Scripture with. And so we have to ask ourselves, can God make a mistake? Because if he can, he's not omniscient, he's not all-powerful. He's not God. He can't be trusted if he can make mistakes. And therefore, Scripture is not inerrant. And so, Scripture is inerrant. Well, the, yeah, my, no, my point was is that if he can make a mistake, then Scripture oh, yes. is not inerrant. Oh, okay, gotcha. Okay. Yes, yes. That, that was the trail I was going on. Was like, but if he can't make a mistake because he's God and because God does not lie, as we mentioned earlier, then he is omniscient. He is all-powerful. He can ensure that man who does err and makes mistakes daily will have the ability – through the Holy Spirit to write the words that need to be written down in this book. Because if he can power enough to create the universe and everything in it, then how difficult is it for him to ensure that the words that are in one book are correct? Yeah. Hmm. You know, yeah. so. Yeah. Um, I like your logic there, Cody. Mm, That's good. Thank you. Sound. Thanks. And he took, the, uh, he took the pressure off of, I mean, one, the men writing that. Mm-hmm. And it took the pressure off of us that have come after that we don't have to worry about, well, were they really right in writing this? No, he put it in Scripture. They were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is the God-breathed word given to us. You know, he, he time and time again throughout Scripture, he's deemed that these are his words. They're not man's words. And so he's took the pressure off of us having to worry, is it right or is it wrong? No, it's from God, so it's all right regardless of the person. Yeah. We have to remember that like the common grammatical abnormalities that you find run on sentences and whatnot <laughs> or everyday speech patterns that you have, you know, when it talks about in the Psalms, uh, like Psalm 19, where the, the sun runs its course. And so some people argue, well, the Bible can't be inerrant because we know that the sun doesn't, mm-hmm. the sun doesn't spiral mm-hmm. yeah. around the earth. The earth goes orbits around the sun. Well, for knowledge of that day and time, and for the poetry that he's writing, it's it's correct. It's correct. And so we can't discredit the Word of God for something that people of that day and time would have wrote down. Well, it's like the, where it talks about the sun standing still. Well, obviously, like, that's how they perceived it then. And so that's how they wrote it down, where the earth would have stood still, technically. Um, but because that's how they, they you know... If we don't know enough, then we know that the sun moves. We don't think that we move. So, anyways. Well, I mean, even in today's day and age where we have all these, you know, technical wizardry and and, and means, we still say sunset and sunrise, don't we? True. Yeah. Very I mean, true. We know the world spins, but we still use that type of language even today. And so why would we hold that against people thousands of years ago? Yeah. I mean, that's like saying... Well, Paul uses run-on sentences, which isn't grammatically correct, so the Bible is errant. Um, you 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 use a run-on sentence every day, so it's... I mean, I'm it's, using it's, one right now. It's a normal grammatical abnormality. We can't discredit the entire Word of God for something that a normal person does uh, in, their, in their writings. Yeah. Not saying that they're given wrong information, it's just a run-on sentence... Is, isn't an error. It's just a grammatical abnormality. Saying that the sun runs its course is not inerrant. It's poetic, and it's the way that things are perceived even now today. So, yep. 
Well, you you saying that uh, about the sunsets and so um, I listened to the podcast theological equipping class and they you know of course some of my, me preparing for this I was listening to um, one about genres and, and biblical inerrancy um, preparing for those and Zach Lee that's in there mentions using the term sunset even though that that's that, but that's how the people described mm-hmm. you know that's how they perceived it and that's how they described it and he's like if you're sitting there with your wife. And you're looking, and instead of going, hey, honey, look at that beautiful sunset, you go, hey, honey, look at that, you know, complete rotation of the earth or whatever. <laughs> he said, do you think that's going to get you a kiss from your wife, you know, saying something <laughs> like that? Like, you just got to think, like, that's how we normally talk. That's how they normally talk. So she'd probably slap me. If I said that. <laughs> <laughs> just look at you. It's like, just a, look at me like, what in the world? I get that all the time. Used to it. <laughs> <laughs> Used to it. Love you, dear. Oh, man. So, I mean, how do errant people write the inerrant word of God? They were carried, not just guided, they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit did the the heavy lifting for them. They were just the pen in which it was wrote down. Not saying that they're robots. Um, We're not saying that the Holy Spirit took complete control and wrote, you know, took their hand and, and wrote with their hand. No, because you can see their personality and their grammatical styles and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. But the words were given to them by the under direct influence of the Holy Spirit. And so everything written down was directly from God himself. Mm-hmm. All right. I'll just throw this one up there for whoever wants to take it on first. I think you should go first. Yeah, you went first. Yeah. Okay, I'll go first. There you go. So the question is, how can the Bible be inerrant? Without any original manuscripts. And so I pose this question. When you take a piece of paper and you put it on a copier and the copier sprints out, sprints out, sprints out, spits out a copy of the original document, do the words on the original document change on the copy? Dude, no. No, it's a copy. Unless the copier's broken. Yeah. Or if it's out of toner. And then nothing comes out. Yeah. Yeah. So, what I'm saying is, we have copies. People took the original manuscripts, and they copied them down perfectly. Actually, uh, if you want a really cool thing to see, watch you a video about how Jewish people copy uh, the Old Testament books. Because they have a, uh, what is that? I think it's dying. Oh, it's gone. Yep. We have a GoPro filming this because we were trying to put it on the YouTube channel, and it just died. Probably isn't going to work. But anyway. Yeah. Anyways, uh, but the copying things doesn't change the the message. You know, it doesn't change the words or anything like that. Uh, and so the, the reason why um, the Bible can be inerrant without any of the original manuscripts is because people took great care to copy exactly what it said and passed it down, especially the, like I said, the Jewish people. It was like to to see how they copied those Old Testament books. Uh, it's it's phenomenal. It, I mean, it's an art. They had yeah. a, it, they had people that that's all they did mm-hmm. their entire lives. They yeah, scribes. Yeah, uh, I took a kind of a twofold approach. Number one was a a practical <clears throat> approach, which is kind of what you did, Seth. Was you know taking like you know these individuals like sat down and copied these things down. And so, you know, my practical approach would be the sources of which 
these manuscripts came from or the sources of which these manuscripts were copied from. Uh, we have to look at those sources and say, okay, are these verifiably good sources? Mm-hmm. And we can conclude, yes, they were because there were other sources mm-hmm. that corroborated what those sources were doing. Mm-hmm. So it, uh, it, you kind of go back to, uh, you know, Jesus appearing to 400 people after he had, you know, risen from the dead and appeared back to these people. Um, there were 400 different accounts of Jesus appearing to them. Mm-hmm. So there's a there's a practical application. But then I think more importantly, there's a, there's a spiritual application behind it too. Like, think about this. So we have all these different sources that are not contradicting each other in any stretch, in any means whatsoever. Don't you think that that is... God's sovereign will being carried out by his hand. Mm-hmm. Like it, you know, it's hard enough to get, you know, 10 people or four people scheduled to show up and record a podcast. Can you imagine <laughs> yeah. all of the different sources there? You know, there's numerous uh, accounts. There's numerous different sources that corroborate the Bible and, and what is written in it. Like that is that is, that there's a spiritual aspect of it that that God was really in control of everything, mm-hmm. and that God is sovereign, and that God will see His will be done in the lives of the individuals that He chooses to use. So, yeah, yeah. Next, well, uh, you, you covered a pretty good chunk of it. I mean, we we know the original manuscripts obviously are inerrant. Obviously, and as was mentioned, they've been copied thousands of times. And so, while yes, the, there can be mistakes made in copious errors, depending on who's doing it and, and the reason behind it. But, but we have to, you know, we trust God enough that if He can, you know, ensure that this word is fully true when it was written, He can also sustain it through the course of human history. And because, what good would it be to us now mm-hmm. if we couldn't? have the full word of god and and it be you know fully true like where we'd be like missing parts or it has contradictions because it wasn't copied right you know that that wouldn't be god's love being displayed to us if we didn't have the full word of god revealed to us in this way and so i think we have to trust in the fact that god is powerful enough and to make sure and ensure that, that happens so yeah. yeah, yeah, he has seen the preservation of his word through um, from the Old Testament through um, the writing of the New Testament. I mean, you have all these these letters were not written to private individuals. They were written to congregations, and they were immediately reproduced and spread around. So there were multiple copies of these things almost immediately. Um, and, and as far as the Gospels, they did the same thing after they were composed. Um, so it's not like there was... There was an original, you know, an autograph or a, um, an original uh, manuscript, but they were copied quickly um, and multiple, multiple times to where we have, um, thanks again to archaeology, just so many scores of really, really old, very uh, full manuscripts that... And, and, and we can compare them, and, and there are almost no inac- or, um, differences between them mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because his word was preserved. He saw to it that, that his people preserved his word. Yeah. So. We have more historical manuscripts now 
than we did when they wrote the King James version of the oh, Bible. Yeah. Huh. Um, so, and they're finding more all the time. That's a that's a hit to your independent fundamentalist Baptist right there. By the way, your IFBs are upset now. You can keep oh, your King James. You can keep your King James. Put right. that put that on a shirt. <laughs> oh, wow, <laughs> that'd be a conversation. I mean, starter. I'm not I'm not saying that if you use a King James, you're a terrible person, but you can keep it. I'll, I'll go other routes, uh, but I mean, we. And we're finding more all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, when was what was what year did they find the Dead Sea Scrolls? The sixties. Where had was it the sixties, fifties, fifties or sixties? Where yeah. they had they found uh, the oldest book of the Scroll of Isaiah. Yep. Mm-hmm. That had that they had ever logged, and it matched perfectly, perfectly. with everything else that they had, and it just further Show corroborated me. the fact that hey, this was so carefully copied down Mm -hmm. and you know we have enough manuscripts that uh if you find one that has you know errors it's they're easy to it's obvious yeah 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 um and you know you go through we have estimated over 99 percent of all the words ever written down in scripture so as close as possible to 100 percent of all words written down that you could possibly get to Mm -hmm. more so than any other historical reference book, manuscript, anything like that. Uh, and so, you know, we, we have that confidence, you know, practically that, I mean, we have the, the Bible in its entirety and it's completely inerrant from the original manuscripts. But we, like Dylan said, spiritually, God's sovereign. He's, mm-hmm. he's in control of all of this. He's not going to let corruption happen to mm-hmm. his holy word. Yeah. He's going to sustain it. He proved that throughout the 66 books that we have mm. um, with, with the words that were actually pinned on the 66 books. So one of the best arguments I think you could have for God's sovereignty over the canon of Scripture is the Jewish exile hmm. to Babylon mm. because you had Jerusalem leveled by Babylon, and they went into a foreign country – 10,000 of the best went to a foreign country and were uh, assimilated into that pagan nation for 70 years. And they came back and they wrote down what they knew, but they also had original manuscripts that were were preserved. When everything else was destroyed, Mm -hmm. these were preserved. And they still had the law. And that's the first thing it is. They broke it out. They made sure it was correct and wrote down. And then they read it. Before the whole congregation, if God can do that in such dire circumstances, it's safe to say He's going to continue to do that throughout history. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, fellas. Anything else you want to hit before we close this one up? I think that's a good one. To I think end we've, on. uh, yeah, yep, we did, did it justice. All right. Well, again, thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, we love y'all. Uh, as we say every time, continue to to pray for us as we do this. Uh, Cody gave. Y'all, in the last episode, the email address for our podcast. FTGU.podcastgroup at gmail.com. Send us questions, comments, concerns, anything that's on your mind. And uh, with that, we will see you guys next time.